You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from his word today. All right, we're going to just step out of our series on the family here for tonight. I knew we'd only have a small group here this evening and what we're about to enter into in our series is very, very important. I didn't want a bunch of folks to miss it. Not that tonight's not important, all right? God's word should have the preeminence in our lives, right? But we're just going to do some old-fashioned preaching without the PowerPoint here this evening, so stay with me. Let's go back to where we were on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, back to Psalm chapter 53. When I finished preparing Sunday morning's message, I had 15 pages of notes. So I knew for sure I wasn't going to get through it on a Sunday morning. And that's why we came back to it on Sunday night. And we didn't get through it all on Sunday night either. And so, praise God, Wednesday's here. And so we're going to wrap up this message, Lord willing, here tonight. But I think it was just such an important issue that we dealt with on Sunday. America has changed. We have become more and more atheistic as a nation, and I see this continuing unless God will so see fit to be merciful and send a revival to our land. So foreseeing the future and where it seems to be that we're headed, remember what Mordecai said to Esther, God has raised you up for what? A time such as this. And I believe that God has raised us up. It's not a mistake that we were born in this generation. God knew what was going to happen. It is a fulfillment, as we saw Sunday, a biblical prophecy. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and themselves also being deceived. We are in the last days. And finding ourselves in the last days, the Bible said, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and there will be a tremendous denial of God himself and his existence and so this is where we were on Sunday now Sunday evening uh, we talked about five arguments and we went through those five arguments again in detail that we can use because as you look at the scripture God never seeks to defend his existence right he just declares that he exists in the beginning God, okay? And so throughout the scriptures, uh, he just declares the fact that he exists. And so really, there's really no biblical arguments that we can look to uh, to defend the fact that there is a God and get people to start to think, well, maybe there is a God in heaven. And so the Bible said we need to be ready always to give a what? Answer of, to, to every man. That would be the skeptic. That would be the agnostic. That would be the atheist. Give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that lieth within you. So if someone were to come to you and say, I just cannot believe in a God that I cannot see, how would you try to reason with them? Throughout the book of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul reasoning with them. Reasoning with them in the temple. Reasoning with them on Mars Hill. As I passed by, I saw your devotion in this, this image to an unknown God. Him I want to declare unto you. If someone came to you who was 
an atheist or an agnostic, what answer would you give to them of the hope that lies within you? And so we looked at some of the arguments on Sunday evenings, such as the universal belief in God. God has, has put the sense of himself within every man. That's why we have so many religions in the world. Okay? So you have that universal belief in a supernatural being. Then we have the scientific argument of cause and what? Effect. You cannot have an effect without a cause. So what was the cause of it all? Everything could not come from nothing. That is absolutely scientifically impossible. And then we talked about the conscience and the moral nature of man. God, he, he says it this way, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has put a conscience in the heart of every man and a, and a moral sense of right and wrong. We talked about the argument of design. How everything has a what? Design to it. A watch is designed. A book is designed. A building is designed. Listen, if it's designed, there had to be a what? There had to be a designer. And look at nature. Okay? Look at nature, look at creation and the design behind that. Even the evolutionists talk about the creatures being perfectly designed for their environment. And then we talked about the life argument. Life must come from life. Who is the source of all life? God. He is the fountain of life. Both physical life and spiritual life. So let's come here, Psalm 53 Verse 1 through verse 3, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God corrupt. This is why they didn't deny the existence of a creator God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Here we find the depravity of man. This is who we were before God redeemed us. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. Say it with me. No, not one. So the unbeliever comes to you and says, I just simply cannot believe in a God that I cannot see. So we can use the five arguments to try to stir their hearts to begin to think, well, maybe there is a God. But here's something I want all of you to remember. Are you still with me tonight? Okay, we just got started. Stay with me. This is very, very important. There's one thing that we need to remember, and that is this, that God gives to every man a measure of faith. Okay? God gives to every man a measure of faith. Listen to Romans 12.3. God hath dealt to every man. What does every man mean? Every person on the face of the earth. Right? God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now this person may say to you, well, <clears throat> I can't believe in a God that I cannot see, especially now that we have raised a whole generation in humanistic teaching, I just cannot believe that. One of, one of the things, I was just thinking about this, just kind of popped into my mind, we're getting ready to go to the Philippines. 
And we're going to see a harvest of souls in the Philippines. We, we literally will see hundreds of people come to Christ in the Philippines. You say, why is that happening in the Philippines, but it's not happening here in America? I'll tell you one of the reasons why I believe it's happening. Because if you go into the schools in the Philippines, all right, the first thing you'll notice is all the kids are dressed in uniforms. You'll find that they're very respectful to authority. Okay? But another thing you will see in almost every school you go into, you'll see Bible verses everywhere all over the walls of the schools. If you were there for their flag ceremony in the morning, they will sing their uh, um, anthem, national anthem. They'll sing their national anthem. They will have a reading from the Bible. They will sing a hymn. They will have a prayer. And then they'll go to class. Now let me ask you a question. Is the government of the Philippines instilling in those students an understanding that there is a God? Yes or no? Yes. And so when we come along and we share the gospel with them, we don't have to get past the state of denial of God. They already believe that there is a God. So do you, are you all here? So it becomes much more easy to give the gospel to them because they're not in a state of unbelief. We now live in a country where it, it is a state of unbelief. Humanism, evolution has been drilled into this present generation. But we as believers, we have to realize that God has given to every man a measure of faith. God has given even to the atheist enough faith to believe and to be saved. The Bible said that faith begins as a grain of what? A mustard seed. That seed of the gospel is planted into someone's heart. And as that seed germinates and and breaks forth and bring forth fruit. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, It's like a grain of a mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden, and it what? Grew. It sprung to life. That's salvation. That grain of the mustard seed springs to life. That's what happens when we get saved. We spring to life, right? We're, we're passed from death, say it with me, unto life. Now what happens? It says, and it grows, and it waxes into a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodge in the branches of it. So here the seed of the gospel is planted, it germinates, life comes, and then throughout our Christian experience, we should just be growing and growing and growing and growing in grace. Amen? All right. So the truth is that everyone has been given enough faith to believe. And I believe this. Ultimately, everyone knows deep down in their heart, if they be honest, that there is a God. I believe that. God has put the knowledge of himself within every man. That's why Romans 1 says, they are without what? Excuse. Everyone is without excuse. Why? Because God has given them enough faith to believe and he's put the realization that he exists in the heart of every man. 
So here's the question. Why does the atheist, why does the agnostic reject the truth that God exists? Because of their unrighteousness. The Bible makes that very clear. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and but men love men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Isn't that exactly what it says here? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. For every one that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Does the word of God hold every man accountable to God for his sinful condition? Yes or no? Absolutely. So, why does the liberal left... Why do they have an all-out war against the Bible and against Christians? Why? Come on, talk. I hear murmurings out there. I believe it's because this book right here, and if we are the salt and light that God intends us to be, are putting forth a moral message. And it's that moral message of righteousness, godliness, holiness that is so despised and hated by the world. Why? Because they love darkness. What I'm trying to emphasize to you tonight is this is a spiritual warfare thing that we're in. This is light. We are light. He is light. And yet the world is lost in darkness. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God put the sense of himself in every man. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, things that are just not right. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God. Wait, they deny that he exists, but it's because they hate him. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are really worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Why? Because Satan has blinded the minds of the unbeliever, lest they come to the light of the glorious gospel. That's what I said. This is a spiritual warfare thing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through verse 7, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Even though they're blinded, we still do what? Preach. They're blinded, we what? Preach. 
preach. They're blinded, we what? We preach. The preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. You're a fool. You believe God created everything in six literal days? Yes, I do. Well, you're a fool. But it's the foolishness of preaching that saves people's souls, that dispels the darkness. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves, your servants for Christ's sake. For God who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Let me tell you something. When God removes the darkness, it's a wonderful thing. There is power in the gospel. Power over darkness. Has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, listen to this, but we have this treasure. What treasure? The gospel. In our earthen vessels. Every one of you here tonight, I know every one of you here tonight, there's not one person here tonight that cannot give me the gospel. So a person who is blinded to their need of the Lord, what is our responsibility, church? Bring them the light of the gospel. Now let me ask you a few more questions here as we go through this message tonight. What happens when God's law is despised and removed from a society? What happens? There's a moral decline and decay of that society. I remember studying about the fall of all the great civilizations in the world. We think about the fall of Rome. Whoever thought that Rome would fall? All the great civilizations that have ever come to power and have fallen, and by the way, most of them never existed over 200 years. But they came to, to great power and then they fell. The final stage, just, just prior to their fall, was that immorality ran rampant in the culture and in the society. What do we see happening today? We have risen to power really quite quick, quickly when it comes to the history of the world. And now we see the moral decline and the moral decay. Listen to what God said, And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee. If you don't do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, it won't be well with thee. And what's true of an individual is also true of a nation. What is the purpose of God's law? The commandments. Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If someone is going to be saved, first of all, they have to realize they are lost. And a person will never realize they're lost until the law is applied to their life. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now I want to talk here about four purposes that the law has in the believer's life. And then four purposes that the law has in the unbeliever's life. So according to the word of God, 
There are four functions that the word of God, the commandments of God, have in my life and your life as a believer. If you're a believer, say amen. amen. Have you ever heard someone say, well, we're not under law? How many ever heard someone say that? Amen. We're not under the condemnation of the law. But I'm here to tell you, Paul said, do we make void the law of God through faith? What did he say? God forbid! You have, you have mistaken this whole thing. Do we make void the law of God through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the law is good. But we have so many today in this whole grace movement that have totally discarded the law of God and says it has no application for us today. That simply is not true. So there are four main functions that the law of God, the commandments of God, have in our lives. And I'm not going to take time to go through all these verses. I have them up here if you want them. I can give them to you later. But number one, it shows us how we can please God. It shows us how we can please God. Number two, it shows us how to treat each other. We're to love God with all of our heart. We're to love our neighbor, What? As ourselves, upon this hangs all the law and the prophets. So it shows us how to please God. It shows us how others should be treated. It tells us how to live a happy, successful, and prosperous life. How many of you want to be successful? Keep God's law. Actually, I think what I'm going to preach on Sunday is finding success in 2019. There is one thing, one thing that God says, if you do this, you will be successful in everything you do. Does anybody know what that one thing is? You do this one thing, and you will be successful in everything that you do. All right, we better come back on Sunday, and I'll tell you what that is. So the law shows us how to please God. It shows us how we should treat one another. It shows us how to be successful and and prosperous in life. And then number four, it shows us how to live a life of obedience. If we obey, God promises to? To bless. And so that's the function that the law has in the believer's life. What about the unbeliever's life? What function does the law and the commandments have there? Now I'm going to read, I want you to listen. I'm going to read three passages of scripture and as I read these passages of Scripture, what I want you to do is listen carefully and see if you can pick out the four functions of the law and the commandments in the life of an unbeliever. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. 
What should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now, in those three passages of Scripture, there were four, four functions of the law that appear. Can anyone tell me what one of the functions of the law is? Well, it says the way of peace they have not known, but that's not the function of the law. Okay, it convicts them of sin. It brings to them the knowledge of sin. I would not know sin unless the what? Law would have said, this is sin. So it brings the knowledge and the conviction of sin. Someone else? Well, yes, everyone is under condemnation. But that's not what, I mean... Yes and no. That's not one of the four main functions of the law. That's too general. It's our teacher. It is our schoolmaster to what? Bring us to Christ. It's the one that brings us and sets us down at the feet of Jesus and says, you need Christ. So it brings the knowledge of sin. It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The Bible said that every mouth may be what? Stopped. A person can't justify themselves when they're looking at the law. Because the law brings condemnation. Brings a knowledge of sin. The sinner's mouth is stopped. He cannot justify himself. It brings guilt and condemnation and conviction. And it sits us down at the feet of Jesus and says, get saved. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the law is pretty important? Yes. yes, it is. And so all of that false preaching and teaching that we have out there in many, many of our contemporary churches today, that is another gospel. That, that's why, in these, and I'll get to it here at the end, that's why you will find repentance very seldom, if ever, even mentioned in many of our churches today. Why? Because we've removed the law. The schoolmaster brings us to Christ. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into what? Condemnation. The law brings condemnation. The law brings guilt. Jesus brings justification. Amen? Jesus brings salvation. Now, let's backpedal just a little bit and look at the state of an unbeliever <clears throat> once again there are three serious problems that every unbeliever has that keeps him from believing in God and coming to Christ for salvation the Bible says they are blind they are deaf and their hearts are hardened how do you ever save someone like that it's called grace Their eyes have been blinded. They refuse to see clearly the evidence that there is a creator God. And most of them have embraced the whole idea of evolution. Their ears are deaf. 
They have rebelled against the holy God and they refuse to listen to his word. It has to be removed. We have to remove it from our schools. We have to remove it from the courthouse. We have to remove it from our government. We have to remove it from society. The Bible said, but they refused to hearken and they pulled away their shoulders. They stopped their ears that they should not hear. That's a sad thing, isn't it? I'll tell you why, that is a sad thing when a believer does that. So they have blinded eyes, they have deaf ears, they have sin-hardened hearts, they refuse to repent and to believe the gospel. So what do we pray? We pray that God would open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. You know, one of the best things you can do for an unbeliever is to pray for them. Do you believe that, church? You pray for them, and then you bring the gospel to them. Think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Did the rich man believe in God? 30 seconds after he died, did he? But it was too late. I want to talk to you. I am so concerned about the state of our churches today. Ben and I have talked about this on a number of occasions. And I will, I will say this. He's the, he's the generation behind me. Okay? And I want my son to be just as concerned about the condition of the church that I am. And the last time Ben and I met together just before Christmas, we were talking about how that many men my age in the ministry are so deeply concerned about where the church is and where the church is going. And I want every one of our young men to be just as concerned as now the older men are. Or you, or you know what? We're going to lose it. I don't see this next generation being concerned enough about the state of Christ's church. We now have this modern evangelism that's going on that would seek to attract sinners by using benefits. You know what? You can attract a lot of people by offering them benefits. What do politicians do to get votes? They offer their constituency what? Benefits. Vote for me, I will give you this. And so today we have, and you've heard me talk about this before, I've actually prepared a message that the Lord gives me the freedom to preach, I'm going to preach it, on the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is rampant in our contemporary churches. Now, I told Ben, I said, you know, we were, we were talking about this because, uh, you know, he, he's that generation that's into all this technology and everyone is connected with each other. And I tell you something, I could care less about all that stuff. Amen. 
But there are churches that are as fundamental as our church in their preaching and their teaching. But they use contemporary music. Okay, are you with me there? Their message is the same, but they use contemporary music. Then there's churches that I would say are contemporary, and they're just contemporary across the board. They're contemporary in their message. They're contemporary in their worship style. But the gospel that never changes. God's word doesn't change. The Lord Jesus doesn't change. The gospel does not change. Now, what was the title of this message when we began? I'm glad that connected with you all. America has what? Changed. Okay. If America has changed, does that mean that the church should change along with it? I will never forget this illustration. Many of you saw this was how many years ago did we go to the first Bill Gothard seminar? How many years ago? Close to 30 years. Had to, maybe over 30 years ago. And I'll never forget Mr. Gothard saying this. You know there was a time when the, the church was here and the world was here. Remember he used the old time, the, the uh, overhead projector. I used to use the overhead projector. Remember that? Slide down the page. He said the, the world was here and the church was here. But the world has moved. But what has happened is the church has moved right along with it. Okay? Powerful illustration. So the church is now where the world was just a few years ago. Now, the church used to preach against this. But now, the church is where the world used to be. We should never have moved. Let the world go. Take the world, but give me Jesus. So now we have what has been coined in our contemporary churches, the across-the-board contemporary churches, what's called the life enhancement gospel. The life enhancement gospel. This gospel... Paul said, if any man preach any other gospel than what I have preached to you, let him be accursed. Here are some of the tenets of the new life enhancement gospel. Number one, God will fill your empty soul. Number two, he will give you true happiness. Number three, he will get you out of your financial difficulties. Number four, he will heal your broken relationships. Number five, he will take away your addictions. Number six, he will give you better health. Number seven, he will make you successful and prosperous. 
Now, can God do all those things? But is that the gospel? That's not the gospel. Why should a person receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Because their soul is empty? Because they're looking for happiness? To get out of their financial problems? To heal their broken relationships? To get free from addiction? To have better health? To be successful and prosperous in life? Is that why someone should be saved? Why should someone be saved? Because we are depraved sinners on our way to a Christless eternity in hell. Now, that's not a popular message. But that is the message of the gospel. It's never changed. An eternal lake of fire awaits the unbeliever. Now, I want to close with this. I'm actually going to get you out of here before 8 o'clock. There are two things, and two things only in this world, that are immutable. What does it mean, immutable? Unchanging. Two things that never, ever change. Can anyone tell me what those two things are? God. I am the Lord thy God. I what? I change not. What is the other thing? What? His word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is what? Settled in heaven. The two things that never will change are God and his word. Wherein God willing and more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. His word. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the what? Hope. What is our hope? God doesn't change. And his word doesn't change. And then I heard someone out there say, and neither does salvation. which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Members of Fellowship Baptist Church, America has changed. But God hasn't and neither has his word. And neither has the gospel. We can not change stick with it why do we need to change something that's the best in all the world let's pray
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.